Oh, thank you so much. Um, it's so great to be here. I usually worship at the 9.30 service, um, and I serve most regularly on visuals. And I know Carol's got that privilege today, but there is nothing quite like it when uh, the fabulous worship team are going with the spirit. And then I'm at the back trying to find the relevant song so that you guys can worship. So let's just give Carol a round of applause today as well. She's done good. She's done good. Um, and welcome to you, of course, if you're joining us online, we're so pleased to have you um, with us. And I remember the privilege and the blessing that was to me as well, and has been on an ongoing number of occasions when I can't make it into the building. So you are no less welcome because you're watching us from wherever you are joining us from. And, you know, just before I stepped into the building, I managed to spill coffee over my notes. So it really is, uh, you know, a bit of a, where will this go today? Um, but of course, um, this is such a powerful message. And when I was looking at what I was going to bring today as part of this next section of Jonah, looking on the internet, actually at first glance wasn't that much help because it is so full of kind of kids coloring. And, and it set me questioning, when did we relegate the story of Jonah to a kid's story? When did it become about Sunday school or kids' ministry? You know, I'm all up for coloring in the whale as well. But actually, if you've stepped in thinking, Jonah who? Then this morning, I'm here to remind us all and to remind myself that the book of Jonah brings us so much. It points to Jesus so regularly. And if we've kind of relegated it, this is our morning to reclaim it. And we pick up where Phil left off last week. And just as a short reminder, Jonah was fleeing from the Lord. He'd been called to give this message of repentance to Nineveh, which was his enemy. And so he decided to flee. And Phil took us through the fact it wasn't just fleeing from the mission, from the calling, from the assignment. It was also fleeing from the presence, trying ridiculously, might I add, to flee from the presence of the Lord. And so as we start into our verses, we find that the sailors have sort of, you know, woken up and gone, hang on, you've offended your God, what's going on? So let's pick up the story from verse 11. They're in the boat, remember. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked Jonah, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men tried their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And as the men, at this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
And as I said at the top, this isn't just a kid's story. There is so much that as we read this, we can look into our own lives and see the teaching of Jesus and the way that we should apply it into our everyday lives. And if you know me well, you know that I'm not the sort of person that just likes a good sort of, you know, quote or some buzzwords. I want to know, how is this message going to help me in my day-to-day life? How is it going to help me in my day job? How is it going to help me in conflict I'm dealing with? with? How is it going to help me with my neighbors? And we are hungry for the word of God because it helps teach us how we then go out and behave and how we worship. And the worship this morning, the sung worship, just so fabulous. Such an entry into the presence of the King. And I want to look at three kinds of fear today that are already sort of relevant that we see in the story up to this point. And the first is the fear of the storm, then the fear of the reason, and then the fear of the Lord. You know, when I get home, I work in a prison. When I get home, sometimes I'm just looking for the ultimate sort of decompression. And so I sometimes will eat my dinner in front of the TV and um, we'll look for what I call wholesome content. Now, you know, this for you might not be wholesome content, but I love watching Saving Lives at Sea. Uh, the RNLI, I have actually uh, donated to their charity. That's how much I have watched these um, sort of um, episodes and found tears just streaming down my cheeks. Now, if you think this is traumatic, then it may not be for you. But for me, I found out early on that they, they don't regularly feature the stories where it doesn't end well. I don't want to give you any spoilers, but there's a lot of wholesome content where they've actually managed to save the life. But these tiny little boats, sometimes it's a dinky little blow-up boat because even this boat is too big to get to shore. And so they sort of downgrade again to this little you know, inner tube thing. And they go and they rescue. And the waves are often pitching the boat back and forward. And that is the image, that is the visual that I want you to have in mind this morning as we think about the story of Jonah. Because back in verse 5, which Phil took us through, we met the crew. We met the sailors and the captain, and we know two things about them. They were afraid, and they were religious. They were afraid. They were afraid of the storm. And the fact that they were afraid indicates to us just how ferocious this storm was. Because I tell you, on Saving Lives at Sea, I would barely be out of the surf. And these guys are miles out. Sometimes it takes the crew about five hours flat to get to them. And all of that time, they are rocking in the boat and they are trying to pray for survival and they are waiting for this orange boat to come and rescue them. When a sailor is terrified, you know it's bad. And so what happens again in verse five, it says that they cry out to their gods. This is gods with a little g. They are probably from all around different nations, worshiping different gods, which is the one that's going to work. And so they cry out to their God. And that's what men do when they're in the grip of fear, whether it's the fear of chaos, whether it's in the military, in the wars, you know, we see this sort of thing of, you know, I'm in a hopeless mess. I'm going to cry out. There's something that draws us to the spiritual. 
And one of the things that I absolutely love to do when I'm on holiday is to go and see um, war graves. Um, my family are well used to the point now that I will, if we're on any walk or any holiday, um, if we see a churchyard that is likely to have Commonwealth graves in it, uh, they know they just may as well sit down and uh, just give me a chance to go and explore. I'm, I'm not kidding you. Um, this happens all of the time. And so obsessed am I with this that even um, I did a degree in photography um, when I was at university, and for my degree show, um, I, the, there's, the picture on the left is of Cannock um, Graveyard, which is um, the German war memorial um, in Birmingham. And what they did is, after the war, they actually um, found a place where they decided to um, bury all of the German casualties. And it struck me as I was walking around Cannock Chase um, uh, Cemetery that so many of these German young men were called John. Johannes. And so I linked my degree show to the verse that says, greater love. You know, I tried to bring in the beauty of Jesus into the chaos of war. But men in a trench end up crying out. Listen to this. The chaplain serving at the front during World War I wrote home, and it was read out at a memorial service of a soldier. Tell all the soldiers at home that they must know God before they come to the front, if they would face what lies before them. We have no atheists in trenches. Men are not ashamed to say that though they never prayed before, they pray now with all of their hearts. When people are exposed to threat and danger, they cry out, they, they kind of pull in to the spiritual bit of our core, whether or not up to that point they have even declared a faith. I see this in the prison too. People that have screwed up their lives, desperate and crying out to God. And this is what the sailors do in extreme danger. First of all, they cry out to their own gods, it says. And then in verse 14, it says they cry out to the Lord. The Lord, and whenever you see in your Bible, Lord in capitals, of course, that is talking about the covenant name of Yahweh. We translate it as Lord. They cry out to the Lord. They cry out to the one that made covenant and they say, right, we're trying you. We're putting our hope in you. They feared the storm. Secondly, they feared the reason. They feared what was behind it. Earlier last week, we heard that Jonah had already told them that he was running from the Lord. They already knew that. Now they're kind of getting the feeling that there's a dispute between Jonah and his God. And they are in the middle of it. And they are in the middle of it. As the waves would say, they've already thrown over all of the kind of luggage, all of this sort of stuff that's weighing them down in an attempt to stay right. And it says they cast lots, verse 7. And Jonah's identified as the reason for the storm. Jonah's put on the spot. They have questions for him. Who are you? Where are you from? What's your job? Where are you going? All of that kind of thing. They feared the reason that they were in the middle of the storm. You know, where I live in the village I live is this picture, Carol, um, which is, just says, fear God. It's an old boys' school. Now it's a care home. And in the apex of the roof, it says, fear God. And when I look at this, I think of two things. I think of a healthy fear of God, which we'll go on to in a minute. But I also think of the kind of Jane Eyre bit. 
you know, the school where you are naughty, where you must do good because God is always watching you. The fear God bit, the fear of God. And actually, these ancient sailors were probably akin to that. They probably knew the feeling of that. You know, their gods, their foreign gods, their sort of pagan gods. It, it, it was like that, you know, you were at the whim of, of, of the God, you know, the whim of, of the anger of your God, that you had to pacify your gods. That's why they made sacrifices. Keep the gods happy, whichever one. Keep them happy. To fear God was a common understanding. And so when Jonah says, I know what, throw me overboard, they were thinking, good, yeah, this will pacify the God. Except that they weren't sure. They were in a quandary. Would it pacify Jonah's God with a small g? Or would it make his God even angrier at them? And so we see what they try to do. Let's just try and row him ashore. Let's put him off. Let's, let's get him onto shore and then we'll be on our way. But the verse says that didn't work. The sea got wilder. And they try their best to row back to land. But then they realize that Jonah's proposal is the way forward. And Phil took us through last week. You know, was this a self-sacrificial offering of love? Possibly not. Probably it was Jonah still saying, I'm going to cheat out of this exercise to get to Nineveh. But either way, it put the men in the boat at peril and they had to take action. And it says in verse 14, then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for the killing of an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and they throw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. Now, some of you reading your Bibles will be thinking, this feels familiar. And actually, in Matthew 8 or in Luke 8, you can pick whichever one you want. They're both stories, chapter 8. We see a similar story. And I love this picture by Tomoya Nakano of the storm of the Sea of Galilee. And in this storm, we see parallels. We see Jesus asleep in the bottom of the boat, the same as Jonah was. And we see the disciples trying everything they can to get out of the storm. And the disciples are afraid. They are full of fear of the storm. And they go down and they wake Jesus up and they're like, come on, master. And Jesus rebukes the wind and the wave and the storm calms. And in this story, the disciples' response is, looking at Jesus, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. And as I said at the top, the story of Jonah points us to Jesus. You know, in these two storms here, Jesus calmed the storm by his command. Jesus was the one that commanded, be still. But Jonah made it possible for the storm to be calmed by his sacrifice, be it selfless or be it selfish. Jonah offered him up, himself up as a sacrifice so that as the storm calmed, the sailors' lives would be saved. Jesus offered himself as a far greater sacrifice for a much bigger storm. The storm that is sin, the storm that is our lives, so that we could find forgiveness and we would be able to actually see eternal life. 
Jonas then spent three days inside of the fish. Jesus spent three days in death and hell. When Jonah was spat back out of the fish to life, Jesus was raised to life and conquered death. Hallelujah. Yes. Amen. But unlike Jonah, Jesus did not try and flee. He prayed, Lord, if there be a way, take this cup. And he stayed resolutely on his mission. He went towards it instead of away from it. So fear of the storm, fear of the reason. And now the final one, which I just love, is fear of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Fear of the Lord. And Jonah says in verse 9, I worship or I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. And Phil spoke to us last week about the attempts of Jonah to flee from the presence, from the face. The Hebrew word was panim. It wasn't just physicality here. It was actually the face and the presence of Yahweh. And here again, we look at a Hebrew word where we have translated it into worship. Actually, it's kind of a tension between worship and fear that it's kind of this awe. It's the reverence that this word evokes. I love that we were singing this morning, holy, holy, holy. I love that we're talking about all hail King Jesus. That's, that's this, yare, worship that is just wonder and fear. And in my day job, uh, I'm a prison governor, which means I'm the most senior person working in my prison. And with that comes sort of the, the respect of the office of the governor. And so although staff and prisoners are very welcome to call me Nicola or Nikki, um, many of my staff call me Miss or Governor or Mom. It took a while to get used to it, but it's okay now. Um, but what they are not allowed to call me is mate. I mean, you know, that's probably the one thing that I, even I, would pull them up on. It's because it doesn't conjure that respect. You know me, as you know me, you get to change who you call me. And most people start to call me Nikki after they've got to know me. But what they don't get to call me is mate, because there's no respect in that. That isn't for them. And here, when we're thinking about the God that we serve, that when these sailors witnessed the sea turning to calm, they were, it says they greatly feared. They were in awe. There was no matiness or joking about this. They were absolutely reverent in what had just happened. And can you imagine it? I mean, you know, even just thinking about today, I found it hard to imagine to go from all of that huge storm to suddenly calm. Like, what do you do with that? I sometimes feel overwhelmed by the awe and majesty of God when I'm looking at the moon rise. You know, that's sometimes like, wow, God, you are big. That turns up every single day. I was going to say come hell or high water, but I don't actually know what that means. You know, actually, it just turns up by the grace and the beauty and the creativity and the majesticness of our God that the moon rises and then the sun rises and the moon sets. 
And there was this story, um, Tommy Tenney, who's an author, who uh, wrote a book um, called The God Chasers. In 1996, he testifies that he was helping lead a service, or he's leading a service with somebody else, at a, um, a church in Texas in the USA. And um, he brought a word which was uh, talking about we need to stop, I think um, uh, it was about not just um, holding the hand of Jesus, but looking to the face of Jesus. And as he brought this word, or his, uh, his co-leader brought the word, there was a clap of thunder and the humongous pulpit on the stage split into, just like that. And out of that moment, the church was on its face in awe. And it brought revival, waves of revival that rippled through for ages after. That's what we're talking about. Like something that when you see it, you are, your mind is just blown. And this is what happens with these sailors. They sacrifice and they worship and they make vows to Yahweh, to the true king. And it's not the storm, it's not the viciousness of the storm, it's the calm. And we see that, don't we, in other ways. We see that, you know, when we're looking for the Lord in the Old Testament, that wonderful story um, with Moses that he's looking for the Lord and all of this violence comes past and storms and wind and, you know, no, thunder, no. The Lord appears in a still small voice. This is why miraculous signs and wonders that accompany the words we're saying are so powerful. Because when people see the power and the awe and the majesty of the King of Kings, they reflect on their own lives. And they feared him, Yare. And their fear turned to worship. It turned them away from the grip of the wrong kind of the fear and it welcomed them into the, the, the fear that we long to push into. Now, let me just clarify something here. This is not fear that is terror of the night. This is not fear that binds us up. You know, some of us in this room, that will be our own only sort of knowledge of fear, the type that keeps us awake at night, the type that worries us to walk out on the streets by ourselves. The type that worries us about taking a step in conviction because of what somebody might think or because of something that will happen. I've been there. I know that kind of fear. This is a holy fear. This is the fear that invites us to say, take off your shoes for you are on holy ground. This is the fear that brings us into life, that brings us into light, that brings us into freedom, that shows us the way to worship, that is holy, that is true, that is just, that is right. This is worship. Tim Keller, who is a theologian, says this. Obviously, to be in fear of the Lord is not to be scared of the Lord, to fear the Lord is to be overwhelmed with wonder before the greatness of God and his love. It means that because of his bright holiness and magnificent love, you find him fearfully beautiful. 
That is why the more we experience God's grace and forgiveness, the more we experience a trembling awe and wonder before the greatness of all that he is and has done for us. It brings us into praise. Look at these two scriptures, Psalm 40, verse three. He puts a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in God. Psalm 118, it identifies that we're loved. Let those who fear the Lord, they will be the ones that say his love endures forever. And if you're not convinced, look at this list. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It leads to life. It adds length to life. It's the fountain of life. There's a lot of life in this kind of fear. It offers us a secure fortress. How many times have I prayed for that as I head into my prison? Lord, will you be my fortress? It is to hate evil. It's pure. It's enduring forever. And it is your confidence. And I love this passage in Isaiah 61 where it just reflects, this is what we were singing. I saw the Lord high and lifted up seated on the throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Just close your eyes and just, just listen to this. This is describing the Lord of hosts. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet and with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Friends, this is the kind of holiness that draws our response of worthy, worthy, worthy. And this is where we're ending today. Worthy, worthy are you. When we fear the Lord, it does two things. It brings us to repentance and it brings us into worship. And next week, the bit of Jonah that we look at is him in the belly of the fish. And it does exactly that. It brings him to prayer. It brings him to repentance. It brings out emotions of anger. And then it brings him to a reconciliation with the God that he says he worships and fears. I look forward to that. You know, Matt Redman, who's written many songs uh, that we sing, and, and this would be a great time to get the team back up. Matt Redman has written many worship songs. And one of the things he says is that the throne room is not only a place of reverence, it is also a place of refuge. Who here today needs to call out for a place of refuge? Do you need freedom from fear? fear of the storm, fear of the cause. Because I promise you, this invitation today is open to everyone. Nobody is exempt. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are from, the lifestyle you live, you are not exempt. You are welcome. All of us get the chance to say, I'm gonna turn around. I'm gonna repent and head back. And God's truth is that He will go with us. Is there a storm that you are going through right now where you have just lost your way, where you are battling and gripped by fear? Do you want a new sense, a new uh, presence from the Holy Spirit in your life that shows you the awe and the majesty and the beauty of our Saviour? 
And if you are in this building today and you do not yet call him Savior, then I beg you, today is the day to surrender. Today is the day to lay down all of your life, all of the crap that comes with it, all of the burden, and just say, God, I've screwed it all up. I'm turning to you. He forgives us. Three days and he rose to life. I'll tell you what, I'm gonna put my faith in that God, the true God, Yahweh. Let me hand back over to the guys to lead us forward.